If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 21 this morning. Proverbs 21. After a week break from our study through the book of Proverbs, we'll return there again this morning. Uh, Proverbs 21, and we want to look today at verses 20 and 21. So Proverbs 21, verses 20 and 21, and we're going to consider the subject this morning, treasure to be desired treasure to be desired. Verse 20 says, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. These verses are verses that are typical in so much of the inspired scriptures and that we see a convergence between the spiritual and the temporal. We see a lesson being taught from temporal things, but also how it is to be applied to spiritual things. We see that in this particular text this morning, there is this emphasis on this thought, treasure to be desired. The word treasure, of course, means different things to different people. Uh, Some view treasure as a possession of some sort, Some may treasure up in their minds a particular thought, a memory. Treasure is in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, Some people are driven by the acquiring of precious things, things that are of great temporal value. But there is also treasure that is meant to be sought after that is of a spiritual nature. I would say to you this morning that spiritual treasure is much more valuable than any earthly treasure. Uh, Spiritual treasure is that which is everlasting. It is that which has no ending to it. Uh, Every earthly treasure uh, has its end. It will come to a time or a place where it will no longer be as valuable as it once was, or it will simply just waste away, or as the Bible refers to, the moth may destroy it and rust may also eat it away. But we see that the writer here says that there is treasure. There's treasure that is to be desired. Now this proverb, although we can certainly appreciate it on the natural level, we can appreciate it on the temporal level, I believe that the deepest meaning here comes from the spiritual. However, I don't want to ignore the convergence of the two. I don't want to ignore the convergence between the spiritual and the temporal or the natural level. Because there are things that the writer here is referring to uh, that are of a temporal nature and are of utmost importance. In other words, the Lord doesn't say to us, don't have anything of a temporal treasure. He doesn't say you should not have anything uh, that you do not value. However, the way in which he describes this He describes it as something of what you do with that treasure. How do you preserve it? Do you simply take in that treasure and waste it away frivolously? Or do you preserve it? Do you keep it as something to be valued? Again, treasure is in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, There are things in your home that you may show me and I may look at it and I may say, uh, why is that valuable to you? It doesn't appear to be a precious stone. It doesn't appear to have a face value on it. But as a treasure to you because maybe somebody gave it to you. Somebody, uh, it's a memory of someone else. 
Maybe it was a possession of another individual who you held so dear. And it is supremely a treasure to you. But I would say this morning that the greatest treasure in which we have, especially those that are in Christ, Jesus Christ is the supreme treasure. Christ and His righteousness is the supreme treasure. I'll refer you to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 through 7. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul made mention of treasure in earthen vessels, but that treasure was the knowledge It was the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And if the knowledge of Christ has shined in your heart, then in fact today you are in possession of the greatest treasure, the treasure that is to be desired. Christ should be our utmost desire. Uh, No doubt one week ago today, many things were opened that were considered treasures. Temporal nature. The greatest treasure is Christ himself. But you'll notice that the treasure here in the temporal meaning here in the writer of the Proverbs says that there is treasure to be desired in oil. Now he makes mention of the word oil not just to give us a word to randomly consider, but he does talk about the treasures. Treasures in this life might be gold, they may be silver, they might be precious stones. There is food that is treasured. There's costly raiment. All of those things can be lawfully acquired. In other words, you are not in violation of God's Word today by having raiment. You are not in violation of God's Word of having food in your cabinets and in your refrigerator today. You're not even in violation of God's Word because you work and you acquire and you have the resources and the funds to get those things, to put things on your family's table. You do seek after those things. Some people say I work just because I enjoy it, but most people work because there is something that is given to you. You are, you are paid for your services. To seek after these things is not wrong. As a matter of fact, we need these things to live. And when we obtain them, we ought to be very careful and cautious with how we use those. Uh, we should store up those things in which we can use for the future. In other words, it would be foolish for you to acquire something and use it all up the same hour and the same day in which you acquired it, unless unless it is something that that's what its intended purpose was. But the treasure that is desired here, he makes mention of this word oil. This oil here is not something that was just a general statement. This was a very common uh, possession in homes. Now, we understand today that, again, as we're converging between the spiritual and the temporal, there are earthly things that are riches, but there's also the spiritual riches. There's the riches of God's grace. There's the riches of understanding that that grace and what we've been given was purchased at a great price. It was the blood of Christ that made that purchase. And so it becomes something that we certainly do not want to waste. We don't want to neglect the grace of God that's been given to us. Spiritually speaking, it would be just as wrong, if not more inappropriate, for us to waste the riches of God's grace. 
To simply look upon them as something to no longer treasure. To look at them and to say, well, I've been in possession of this grace for so long that it just doesn't have the same luster and the same shine. Well, the Apostle Paul said it is of a great thing that God commanded the light to shine in our hearts and give us that knowledge. It is supreme treasure. So oil, in the temporal sense, was a great treasured possession. Now, the writer here is using this oil as an illusion. Uh, it was considered to be one of the principal blessings of the land of Canaan. In other words, if you were in possession of oil, uh, it was a great treasure to have. That oil was used for not only food, but it was also used for just general refreshment. It's something we don't quite comprehend today. Uh, probably none of you on your shopping list this week, unless it's some kind of a cooking oil, have the idea of what they're talking about here, the preciousness of this oil. It had, it had numerous purposes. In other words, you just didn't buy it for one thing. It was the very uh, heart of a home. And it was to be carefully handled. Because if it wasn't carefully handled, you would quickly waste it and you would quickly use it up instead of considering what future use I may need this for. Every house of a wise person was very cautious in how they used this oil. Now you'll notice that he says that there is this treasure to be desired, an oil in the dwelling of the wise. Now that dwelling of the wise got me interested in looking at the intent of that. And the dwelling here refers to what we would call a cottage. It would say something that is... Not a palace, not something that is of great pomp and circumstance. A cottage would refer to just a small, insignificant dwelling. Something that is, by our standards, might even be the home of a poor person. Why is that important? Well, it's important because when we consider this, we consider that the person who even lives in a cottage, the person who lives beyond or under the means of many other people, it's referred to them as being wise. So if you dwell in a cottage, but you are wise with the oil in which has been provided to you, it is indeed the picture of how we ought to treat this treasure. This treasure is to be treasured. Do not waste it. Do not be frivolous with it. This oil he compares to how it's being handled. This oil is the very heart of the family. But now notice the contrast. Immediately, he goes into and compares a wise man as one who's careful with it, but a foolish man spendeth it up. In other words, the foolish man who's given the same oil, he might be in a cottage, or he might be in a palace, the same oil, instead of savoring it, he uses it all up the moment he gets it. We could use a common heard phrase in our society, like money was burning a hole in his pocket. He just couldn't wait to use it. He couldn't wait to spend it. He couldn't wait to use it for whatever purposes would fulfill his own desire. Now again, remember the topic this morning of the subject is treasure to be desired. 
The sin is not in the desiring of the treasure. It's how you handle the treasure once you receive it. What you do with it. In contrast, the foolish man spends his oil. He has none of it left. The oil, he drinks it up all at once. And as soon as he has gotten it, he wastes it and lavishes it away what his father, in many cases, had provided for him. We have the picture here of a a man, a father, comes home, provides for his family, provides for his children. The child receives his portion of oil, and instead of treating it in a proper manner, he just wastes it on himself. It reminds me of the prodigal son. But yet, it doesn't just have meaning towards oil. It can have a meaning towards any desired treasure, anything that we're given, whether it is riches, whether it is a substance of any sort, whether it's raiment, whether it's whatever it might be, anything we can possess, we are to be careful with how we handle that. Now, in a day and age, again, just to make an application to today, in a day and age in which we cannot seem to spend enough, where we always need something more. There's already people by Tuesday who didn't get enough on Sunday last week. And it will be that way. We will continue to take and to use and take and to use and take and to use when we are supposed to be very careful with what we've been given. To be frugal, if you will, with what God has given us. Now again, notice the word foolish of course, is in a temporal meaning, but we also see it in the spiritual meaning that one who is foolish in a spiritual sense would be the foolish, wicked man the Bible describes, a man who misuses his time. You know, time is a treasure. Time is a treasure. We are called to redeem the time. We are called to use the time wisely. We are not to waste away, to frivolously just allow time to slip through our hands as if we always have temporal time or in the spiritual realm that we have plenty of time to deal with our eternal needs. The reality here is, is to frivolously use our time or misuse our time is to neglect the grace and the opportunities God has given to us. We are indeed spiritually rich. We are spiritually rich rich if we know Christ. So again, as we see the the comparison, the wise man takes these things, uses them in a frugal manner. Spiritually speaking, if you are in possession of the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, do not neglect that. Do not waste it away. Do not allow it to be so commonplace. But think often on it. Am I applying and using the treasure? Do I desire the treasure, the right treasure? There's no doubt in my mind that many believers and churches included are seeking the wrong treasure. They're saying if we could just have this, if we could just acquire this, we'll spend all of our oil if need be to acquire something that we think is going to bring contentment. And yet, we are to be careful and cautious with what God has given to us. You see, the foolish man spiritually or the foolish man in a temporal manner, he wastes away what he should be using wisely. The spiritual man wastes away 
the righteousness that he has been given. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20, our Lord said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Again, it's not a command against having anything. It's a command of what you seek first. Which is why verse 21 goes along with verse 20. Because now this principle is expounded upon. So we know there's a treasure. We know what we should do with that treasure, spiritually and temporally. Notice this is in direct connection with verse 20. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness and honor. So now we see that there is a following after that which is the right, true treasure. treasure. To follow after scripturally means to be eager. It means to be diligent, fervent in the pursuit of these things. We are to be in pursuit. We are to desire treasure. And the great treasure we are to pursue is righteousness. That's the answer to the treasure question. The treasure to be desired is righteousness. Now this righteousness, of course, is the pursuit of righteousness, not a legal righteousness as the Pharisees claimed you could have. Remember, the Pharisees were claiming that they could acquire and provide their own righteousness because they could keep the law. But we know the Bible tells us that they sought it not by faith, but rather they sought righteousness by the works of the law. Romans 9.31. Now we know scripturally there is no righteousness that can be found. There is no justification that can be found before God in our works. So what he's not teaching here is that we can do our own righteousness that will be acceptable to God. So then what does he mean to follow after? We're following after someone who has that righteousness. That someone must have perfect righteousness. They must be able to grant us access, the ability, the right to stand. It is a righteousness that is only found in the righteousness of Christ. I love what the prophet Isaiah, how he uses this illustration in the book of Isaiah 51. If you'll turn there with me uh, briefly this morning, look at Isaiah 51. And we could read a lot of this chapter, but I'm just going to read the first few verses. But I want you to notice the emphasis on the word righteousness and seeing this phrase following after. Isaiah 51 verse 1, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock when ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit when ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people, 
My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth. Mine arm shall judge the people. The isle shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool, but my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. See, what we're after this morning is not our righteousness. We're after the, after the righteousness of another. We're following after the righteousness of He who is perfect. It is, as it were, for us to remove any thought, any idea that our righteousness can bring anything acceptable to God. The illusion to follow along with the pattern of the Proverbs, it is to symbolically and maybe even in a real sense taking off that filthy coat of righteousness which we are in possession of, casting that robe of filthiness off and seeking a new perfect righteousness. That righteousness is the righteousness in which Isaiah referred to as my righteousness. Isaiah was not talking about his righteousness. He was talking as a, as a voice for God. And he said it is God's righteousness in which we are to be in pursuit of. It is his righteousness we are to desire. His, the righteousness that is required to stand before a holy, perfect God can only be supplied by Christ. So then how do we apply this to ourselves? If it's not our righteousness and it's not our works, it's not what we do, how do we follow after it? Well, to follow after here means to desire it. To thirst after it. To hunger for it. You realize today you will not follow after God's righteousness until you know you have a need of it. I cannot today force you to seek the righteousness of God by anything I say. I could apply pressure to you in some manner, some shape, some form, but that's not what is going to drive you to desire His righteousness. You have to know how needy you are. You have to know that you completely lack what He's saying we're supposed to follow after. You have to realize that my robe of my self-righteousness needs to be cast away. There is a desire. There's a thirst for it. Our Lord said in Matthew 5, verses 6-7, through 7, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Again, the Lord was not talking about thirsting after self-righteousness or doing enough good works, but seeking and thirsting for 
So Proverbs 21, 21, along with our Lord's words in Matthew 5, supposes and presupposes a want and a need of true righteousness. I would stop right here and ask you, do you actually have a need for true righteousness? I'm not asking you to put on another robe of your own righteousness. I'm saying, do you have a need for true righteousness? Do you have a hunger for it? Do you have a thirst for it? Do you want the righteousness of Christ above all else? Is His righteousness the great treasure you desire? That's what's at the heart here. That's what He has in mind. It supposes not only a need, but it supposes an awareness that if I do not have this righteousness, then I have nothing. You see, to not possess His righteousness is to be without to have nothing. In the temporal sense, to, ha- to not have that oil to would to be, with- to be without. It would to leave the people in that house lacking for many things. Friends, we have to realize this morning without the righteousness of Christ, we have nothing. Your self-righteousness, my self-righteousness equals Nothing. So what do we pursue after? What do we desire more than anything else? This awareness leads us to not only know that we want it and we desire for it, we long for it. It's a view that something is missing from us. I can only think of one illustration as crude as it might be. But if we were to look up one day and realize one of our children was missing, we would diligently seek that child until we found them. We would not just simply say, one's missing. We don't need to find him or her. No, we would diligently and eagerly know we are missing something. Righteousness is to be desired above everything else. That righteousness that's missing is found only in Christ. Once we're aware of that, we long for it, we desire it, and we follow after it. And I love the promises of the Word of God that says, He who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. When we follow after His righteousness, we will find it. What does the writer of Proverbs say? He says that if you follow after righteousness and mercy, you find life. Don't miss that. Following after righteousness and mercy ends up in finding life. This person who is seeking this perfect, pure righteousness that's agreeable to God now finds life. This person follows after mercy. They follow after grace. They follow after righteousness. They see their own misery of their own sin. They realize they have no merit of their own. And they go to God alone. This may not be the best word to use, but it's a word that was often used by many of the older uh, pastors and preachers from years. They described it as applying to God for grace. To apply to God. We are so presumptuous. We're presumptuous in the thought that we can just do and say, approach God in any way we want. And that just because we approach Him, He has to acknowledge and accept us. 
That's not scriptural. There is an appeal. There's an application that we're making to God each and every day. When a person comes to Christ, it isn't just as simply as saying, I want this. It is pleading and begging with God to save my soul. Give me the righteousness in which I thirst for. The righteousness I'm longing for. That which I know is missing and that which I know that my old filthy rags cannot in any way, shape, or form count as one point, one penny in my account. You see, the reality here that we see is that when we seek after His righteousness, it is these things and all these things shall be added unto us. When we seek after this righteousness, we're not seeking after something we can buy. The last few weeks have been marked by what we can buy. You can't buy grace. You cannot buy mercy. You cannot buy righteousness. It's a gift. And it's a gift that's given by the giver himself. That which we need the most, he's also the giver. He gives us his righteousness. The very whole of our salvation is applying for God's grace. And then, not just one day of grace, but you're going to need it daily. I have never met a true believer who said, I'm glad I got God's grace that day I got saved, but I've never needed it again. You need God's grace every single day, just like that oil was needed in those homes. You need God's grace. It's that cliche we've heard, and we, it becomes common. It's God's grace that saved me. It's God's grace that'll keep me. You don't know how, you couldn't speak any truer words than that, even though it's become a Christian cliche. The same grace, the same gift. But you have to take in mind, remember, the comparing and contrasting. Notice he says that it is following after this righteousness, which means the opposite would be to follow after anything else would leave us still in want. There is a consequence today for not diligently seeking after the righteousness of Christ. You will find yourself without. You may have heard the gospel and you may have heard God's grace and you may have heard the command to repent and believe the gospel and you've heard it and you've heard it and you've heard it and yet you've just neglected it every time it comes to your ears. One day you're going to be without. Don't neglect. Don't neglect this righteousness that's being offered to you. Find this life, righteousness, and honor that's being mentioned here. It's interesting to me in verse 21, again, he says, He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life. And notice the middle word, righteousness. He follows after righteousness, and what does he find? Righteousness. It's an interesting play on words. The very thing in which he was seeking, he not only finds life, but he finds righteousness. This is more than just to simply follow after a good life. I know the pressure is very real in our temporal get-as-much-as-you-can society. 
But it's not about acquiring and having the perfect life now. This life that's being mentioned here has a spiritual application to it. It's spiritual life. Life that we have from Jesus Christ that has been given through the Spirit of God. To be saved today, to be converted, knows that I can only owe my salvation to the grace and mercy of God. And the evidence that I have received that grace and received that mercy is the presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells you. Your finding of righteousness is not just solely your profession of finding it. It's the actual possession of God. He actually indwells you. My evidence that I'm a child of God is not by what I prayed. It's by what is, who, who is dwelling inside of me. Everyone who is in Christ today, truly in Christ today, has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. If you are without the Holy Spirit today, you are without Christ. You are without His righteousness. You are like the man who has no oil left. Seek after Him. Beg God to show you. Show you who He is. It is through the righteousness of Christ is where righteousness can only be found. It is through Him where all of our blessings flow. Not only for the blessings of this life, but for the life eternal, the life to come. Righteousness is never found in self. It's never found in the works that we do, but it's found in Christ alone. Going back to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it is the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ that shined in our hearts. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's the epitome of pride and abomination to God for you and I to take credit for a single ounce of our own righteousness that's acceptable before God. Yet Paul says, if this light shines in you, God commanded that light to shine there. A robe of righteousness, His righteousness, has been placed upon our shoulders has now given us not just a mystical relation to God, but has given us a real relation to God. A real recipient of real grace. We enjoy the presence of God's righteousness within us. One day, we will see Him. We will be face to face with He who saved us. We will understand by and by the crown of life which I, I would submit to you, we don't fully comprehend what that crown of life really is going to mean to us. We have a lot of speculation. But the beauty of the righteousness of not just the crowns, but the beauty of the robe of righteousness that the writer of Proverbs is telling us to seek after. Again, may our minds be turned to the reality in this principle. Not just taught here in the book of Proverbs, but the principle that Jesus Christ himself preached, what he commended, what he told those who were his followers. Remember, 
That blessed Sermon on the Mount was not so much an evangelistic sermon as it was a sermon to His people. And it was to His people that He said those words again. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. My trust today and my hope today is that the Spirit gives us this desire. This desire for the true treasure. The treasure that is found in Christ. You see, the answer is that the treasure to be desired is Christ. And it's His righteousness that we seek after. Let's pray together.